Still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Welcome to 2022, doesn't even sound like a real year, and welcome to season two, episode 14 of Fran Kirby's Fight Club, your one-stop listen to all things Chelsea FCW, and of course, the absolute legend that is one Fran Kirby. I'm Andre Carlisle, I'm a writer and podcaster, and thankfully I am never alone here because I have my co-host with me, Mariam. Mariam, please tell the good people about yourself, well, introduce yourself, and uh, also, how are you doing? How are your holidays? They were really good. I mean, I, I got to enjoy it as much as sort of as safely possible, which I think is pretty much the story for everyone right now. Uh, yeah, things have been going pretty well. Uh, I've been enjoying a bit of time off from work, so currently unemployed. If anyone wants to hire me on the back of this intro, uh, gosh, that might not be a good idea. Um, but yeah, I've had a very good holiday period and I'm quite excited, um, excited for this new sort of the new segment of this season. I've had to watch a bit of men's football in the last few weeks, and I'm just absolutely crying out loud for women's football to start again. <laughs> I absolutely feel that men's football is so like I it's love a lot of the players. I like watching it, but it is uh, it's a different level. I'm like, please get me back to get women's football back again, so I can watch <laughs> that because this this is like people are insane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, I disagree with you. It would be a fantastic uh, decision if you're listening to this and have the ability to hire hire Marion, please. Um, very good on football. Very knowledgeable. There's reason chose her as the co-host for this podcast and obviously uh-huh. makes Thank me look you. so good every single week. So appreciate you're it. Just, you're saying that because I know later on in the notes there's some predictions coming <laughs> and you want to go, I see what you're doing. You've got some smooth talking going on here. Listen, Miriam loves predictions, so certainly if you have any features you want uh, written or, or or produced or anything about predicting the way games are going to go, it's one of her favorite <laughs> things. So uh, yeah, get on that. All right. So as I mentioned, it is 2022. We are leaving the bad vibes behind. We are going to look ahead to Chelsea Spurs, which is a rare Friday kickoff. We are the two first close back Chelsea and Spurs, I'm guessing, because Chelsea or Chelsea and Spurs are Spurs. This is all about getting Chelsea on TV as soon as as early as possible. We couldn't wait for the weekend, so we're gonna we're gonna play on Friday. It's a 2 p.m. kickoff Eastern time here in the US, 7 p.m. in the UK. Marion's been doing quite a bit of a deep dive on Spurs, so we're gonna kind of talk about them first, uh, before we kind of get to Chelsea a bit, because Honestly, the end of the year, and you should listen to our end of the year episode. Um, we talked about a lot of things going on with the team. Obviously, it was a really bad stretch after winning the FA Cup final um, over Arsenal. And it was just, it, it's a, uh, it obviously I'm biased, but it is a good episode. I think you should listen to that <laughs> if you haven't, uh, because I, I think there was a lot more into it than just like, you know, individual errors and tactical mistakes. And we got into some of that, um, the majority of it really um, on the podcast. But again, as I said, we're leaving that behind. So, Mariam, uh, looking at Spurs, they are surprisingly third place in the league right now. Manchester mm-hmm. City, of course, have been struggling. So there have been third places been up for grabs and Spurs have taken it. Seemingly, they've taken it from Brighton, who was kind of that that team just below the teams at the top. So how have they been doing it? How has Rianne Skinner been able to coax this team to third place? 
Well, first of all, I think you're right. They've kind of quietly been doing it, <clears throat> excuse me, because a lot of people are focusing on Arsenal now, which I think a few episodes you called the Darlings, the w- WSL. Um, and a lot of people are like focusing on how well they're doing, but a lot of people aren't realising that their neighbours, Spurs, are actually doing just as well. And and the thing that's most interesting is the transition. So I think it was a few seasons back they were under, you know, double management, Juan Amoros and Karen Hill. They were really lost to the team, not sure what they were doing tactically. There were a few major issues. One of them was central attacking. So they had uh, Ayane Rose or Rose Ayane, she was in there, uh, but they had no one to stitch up with her. There was no sort of individual movement within that because there was no central striker. You know, they had a few players, like maybe Kit Graham was one, Ashley Neville on, on the widths, but those two players, Neville went and Ayane, were kind of carrying the attack and there was no sort of central presence that they could link that up to the same way that we might have with Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr. Um, on top of that, there was just no absolutely no defensive midfield. They weren't able to have a a sort of a system that helps the attack transition into defence. So that was quite difficult. And, and, you know, then obviously Alex Morgan came along and we all thought maybe that this is their way of kind of having that out-and-out striker because we know that Alex Morgan can play that role and among several others. But really, she spent more time off the field arguing with Daniel Levy and, and securing a, a sort of facilities for the <laughs> women's team. Then she did actually on the pitch and, and before long she was gone again and... Spurs were once again lost. They finished eighth position. They conceded like 40 goals, I think, and only scored less than 20. And they were in a really bad place. And I think everyone knew, everyone within the club knew that change was needed. And and as you say, Rane Skinner came into the mix. And we know her credentials. She was formerly of the Leicester women's team who did so well last season. She's worked with the England's national women's team. So we kind of knew what she was doing. And as you say, that's reflected in the in the standings. So Spurs are third at the moment. They're only a point behind us as a result of that postponed West Ham game. So I think we really kind of have to talk about how well they're doing. They haven't lost in six games. You mentioned that draw against Arsenal. There was also a draw against United. So th- there's definitely a new system, a new plan of attack. And I'm going to talk about two very specific games. Uh, one of them is the most recent game against Everton. So they won 1-0, courtesy of a brilliant strike by this player called Jessica Naz, which is pretty cool because we have the same surname. Uh, <laughs> she says she she does share a surname with me, so maybe that's why she's so cool. Um, anyway, so they play a very fast attacking brand of football. So there's very clear intent that counter-attacking and transition attacking is something that Rahane Hill, um, sorry, Rahane Skinner wants Spurs to do. Uh, against Everton, they were able to do that. One thing I found quite interesting, actually, is Everton had a back three. And Spurs really liked that. They liked it so much. They weren't being pushed into areas of width. They were still piling on central attack. And that pressure was forcing Everton to leave gaps. And that's where Naz got her shot into. So they weren't giving into that narrow defensive system with the back three that Everton had. But they found gaps to score those goals. Um, and that's a bit concerning because we have a back three at the moment. And we haven't been doing that well in in a back three. So... As I was thinking in that and typing up the research, I was like, hmm, hmm, this is this is quite interesting. Um, but something that I also noticed about this new brand of football that is that it makes them extremely vulnerable to transition attacks. And there's still that little bit of like, when I talked before about their lack of defensive um, midfield defence under Juan Amaros and Karen Hill, there's still a little bit of that. And and one thing that makes it worse is that they like to play out possession football from the back, but they don't have the means to do that. They're constantly giving away possession in high areas. And if you're a team that likes to counter-attack and transition and you're pushing and pressing from the front, as an Emma Hayes team does, that's pretty much kind of danger zone. That's like, you don't want to do that against that kind of team. You don't want to do that against Chelsea. They do have a pretty amazing keeper 
who's made a bunch of saves. I think the name is Corpella, and I was reading an article on her. Um, but again, it's quite a lot to ask a keeper to do, sort of face the brunt of that counterattack. And it was kind of a similar story in the other game I want to talk about. So that was a 1-1 draw against United. Um, again, Nels was another really potent figure, but we saw her in a slightly different role. So then instead of playing the left central, she was actually utilising width a lot more. And I was thinking to myself, that's probably because United do a better job at a back three than Everton. So possibly the same system, but uh, but really working the back three in, in a much more efficient way. But they had the same issues on the counter. Um, Arsenal were able to do the thing that they had struggled to do, which is stitch areas of or patterns of attack rather than having individual players who are doing things that are quite brilliant, they were able to stitch that. And they got a really good call, which was amazing. And I think that part of that was because of that the weakness I'm talking about, which is a lack of defence in midfield. And I think if they allow Chelsea to do that, then there's no reason why that we're going to really play on the front foot and counter. But, and there's a big but, but if memory serves me correctly, we did play Spurs last season in that weird kind of two-year FA Cup situation around covid and I remember they had a really fast start and it really got to us. And that happened when there was a really big gap. It was some kind of international break or something was happening. And I'm thinking whether that could happen again, because it obviously has been a break since we last played. And what if Spurs think, OK, let's combine what we already know in terms of fast start and also our new counter-attacking plan under Ryan Skinner. If we can combine those things and target Chelsea's back three like we were able to do against Everton. There's absolutely no reason why that they could cause us a lot of problems. And as I say, Jessica Naz, that's a player that stands out. That's the danger player. Yeah, there's actually, you know, my kind of question is looking at them and and what I kind of do when I look at teams and try to figure out how they're going to attack Chelsea. And for the most part, whenever it's not Manchester City when they were actually playing well uh, or (laughs) Arsenal, you know you're going to, like those matches, you know you're going to get straight up, right? It's going to be system versus system, formation versus formation. And you're going to be able to like, you're going to try to, both teams are going to try and impose their will. Whereas most teams that we end up facing, they, you know, two banks of four, you know, they try to make sure that they pack the box. They don't really Mm -hmm. try to play their expansive game, which obviously makes sense because you don't want to do that if if you're not as talented or well-drilled as Chelsea. It's just really a bad recipe. Um, But looking at how Spurs played Arsenal was very interesting because they yep. didn't change their system. They kept with a 4-2-3-1, and they really frustrated Arsenal quite a lot. I mean, they, it took Viv Miedema getting a, a stoppage, second-half stoppage time uh, header to just get them a point. And it was, and honestly, I remember watching that match, and Spurs should have had a couple goals. Uh, I think they should. They definitely should have had two and could have had three. Um, there was one that was wide, wide open, had a wide open net, and I think it was uh, Neville who ended up putting the shot wide. But yeah, uh, they played... Tremendous. So when you talk about, you know, how you've seen them play and where they can hurt us, I know you picked up on on one particular player, but who else is standing out and what exactly are they doing in terms of pressing or what areas are they are they attacking against, you know, or did they attack versus Arsenal that we should also be worried about? That's a really good question. I think I, I mentioned her before, Ashley Neville, and I mentioned her because she was she's kind of the player that's kind of like stood through everything that's happened in the last year or so like you know new change of manager Spurs not doing well Spurs is rise to WSL all of that she's been there and and she very much carried the team like I said her and Ayan were kind of like facing the brunt of Spurs they were the ones trying to instigate the attack they were the attack and she often finds herself in positions in counter-attacks uh, where she's the one who's like taking the shot on goal and it's like you don't really want her like that player you know 
out of all players, a defender to be the one taking the shot of goal. But she's often finding herself in those positions. First of all, um, that comes from the formation that Spurs have. So they push from their from their defensive fullbacks, but they also leave space in the middle. And that means that Neville constantly comes in around. And it's really confusing if you're a defender because you're not sure whether or not she's going to do her trademark run down the flank or if she's going to come in as a supporting player. Um, also, she's really, really fast. So she sometimes finds herself ahead of the game and I've noticed she does get a lot of upside positions but once again having her in that position means not only are you having crosses and and balls come in but also you have a player who's capable of carrying an attack because that's what they have trained and experienced themselves in and on top of all of that I think she she's also really good at like long throws I've seen like her as quite a lot as like the long thrower um, and that's kind of a pretty handy skill to have um, in terms of like Spurs as a whole and, and how she's helping the team She's she's doing what she's always done, what she's always done for the team, why she's always deserved a spot in the starting eleven. She's adding an extra element to the attack. She stretches defences. She creates confusion in whether or not she's a, an attacking asset or whether she's a supporting player. I think um, we've already mentioned that issues with back three. So whether or not um, we're going to see more problems from whoever's playing alongside, fingers crossed, Anik Nouwen, I think that actually never could be a big player in in causing a lot of defensive mishaps. Yeah, and actually, I was when I was watching. I think uh, Kid, Kid Graham was one of those players uh-huh. that was really, really stood out to me. You know, yeah. that that was a player that was always like alleviating pressure. They really try to find her feet. I think if she just they they also put in quite a shift, so they were exhausted by you know probably like the fifty sixtieth minute, but they kept going. I think if they would have maybe been able to get one more player to run with her on one of those counters, they really could have put a second goal. Uh, up there but yeah you look at some of the players that they have and the way that they're using them and I do think it's really really smart you mentioned Kit Graham and I re- I was watching the the highlights from the United game and she had this crazy shot like she was almost like just ahead of the halfway line and like a ball came to her and there was a challenge incoming and she just decided that she was going to hit that ball and Mary Earps like literally had to get in a very smart and and specific position to not for it not to go in and it would have been a wonderful goal but as you say she's like you know she's constantly charging around pressing and pushing but also from an attacking perspective it's it's that extra element that Spurs didn't have last season they're having a lot more in terms of patterns of attack and players that can stitch up passes in the final third I think as you say she's a pretty key one I mean she's only 26 she's pretty young and she's coming through quite well yeah, and uh, so so here's here's my question to you because I know you've been doing a lot of a lot of work on Spurs trying to analyze them, and it is <laughs> I mean when you look at the table, it is very interesting. If they do win this game, they will leap over Chelsea. I mean we do have a game in hand, so we could get it right back. But they have been playing quite well. However, <laughs> I was looking at their schedule uh, and seeing you know their results, and I just wonder. Can is what they're doing sustainable? Because yes, winning is winning in three points or three points, but five of their six league league wins have been by one goal. Uh, the only time they beat anybody by more than one goal was Leicester. You know, bottom of the bottom of the table, uh, two 0 Are they still directly bottom of the table? Let's see. Let me check. Uh, no, Birmingham City is. So there you go. Um, but yeah, it was it was two nilers to Leicester. Both draws uh, that they've had were both one one draws. And both of their losses were by one goal margins. So they are beating teams uh, that they need to beat. They are picking up points when they need to pick up points and have done so quite well, I would say. But it seems like with such small margins, they very easily could could have been what? They, they're third right now. 
perhaps if a couple of those games go a different way, they could be as far down as eighth. So do you think that what they're doing is some sort of perhaps, um, I don't know, I, I just... <laughs> I don't necessarily want to continue to say sustainable, but I just wonder, like, is it a skill to continue to win these one goal games? It's almost like a a gift from the past, a little relic from the time where they weren't so good uh, that they still struggle in an attacking sense. Like I mentioned, all the issues they had with goal scoring in that season. I mean, they scored like 18 goals across all the games, which isn't very much. They really had an issue with it. have first of all not having an out and out striker but also not having the means to use like a, a false nine or like you know uh, an interchangeable attack they didn't have any of that and I think although Rahane Skinner has made a lot of progress there's still a little way to go in that sense um, in terms of goal scoring but at the same time I think that when they're in situations where they had to defend very deeply they are still capable of scoring goals like you know they scored a last minute goal in both the Arsenal and the United games and it wasn't more so just like you know issues or weaknesses in the opposition defence they were able to really manufacture a goal when needed and I think that that's a skill that Rahane Skinner has brought out of them and we saw the work she was doing with Leicester and also I I kind of uh, was watching a video actually on YouTube um, I guess we could link it about the stuff that she did with the England women's team and a lot of it was about movement in the box about how they could create chances when they are defending deeply I think that is something that she's brought out of them. Yes, they still have issues with in terms of goal scoring. I, I think I'm not actually quite sure how many goals they've scored this season. Probably better than eighteen, um, or at least on track for being better than eighteen. But I think when you say is it sustainable, I think it's something that she's trying to hone. It's not like they've got there, like to the point where you could say, right, they're at this place. Are they going to be able to continue it? I think they're still developing and growing as a team, and they still have some issues that uh, come from a different era of management. So. I think that they can. I think that this is a really good platform. We saw what United um, did under Casey Stoney and they really developed and grew and they needed a season or so to get up there after, oh well, they did until very recently after everything that's been happening with her and the team. But I think something similar will happen with Spurs. You know, they had their breakthrough season, they didn't do well and now they're under a manager who has a very specific system and philosophy in mind. I think it it means that they can only grow and get better. So yeah, I, I do think it's sustainable and I do think that we're going to see a lot more of it. Um, maybe some future signings that could help them in terms of uh, of goal scoring. Yeah, you look at, uh, you, you kind of look at their goals for in the league. They've scored 12, so they are definitely on pace to get over that 18. Uh, they've only allowed seven. Um, Chelsea, by contrast, has only allowed six. So they, 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 And that season I was talking about, they um, conceded 41 goals. And they're yeah. only allowed to, like that jump is just huge. Yeah, it's massive. Hopefully we can pile on a few and make that look <laughs> not as impressive. So that's what we're going to try to do. Um, let's see, before we move on to Chelsea, uh, is, is there anything else that you noticed or was there anything else um, when you were doing kind of your deep dive of Spurs uh, that you wanted to make sure you noted before we move on to, to Chelsea a little bit? Um, well, like I say, like, you know, we talked a lot about Spurs as sort of like, you know, positive elements but like I said this new brand of football and this new style of play leaves you quite vulnerable and this is already a team that doesn't have the confidence in passing and possession play and then you see that a lot they were giving away a lot of balls like literally in their own box in around the the back three or back four um and a better team would have punished them for that they would have conceded a lot more goals but they haven't done that yet and another thing I said is is that they allow teams to play through them there's no defensive stop in midfield there's no deep lying aggressor um, and I think that's that that's what happens when you make a commitment to push everyone forward. So that's kind of what I want to 
be quite affirmed on. And I think that's actually a perfect segue because now you can talk about how Chelsea are going to absolutely exploit that. Um, yeah, or you. Well, yeah, I mean, if if that's something that they choose to do and, and it ends up happening in the match, I definitely think uh, they'll be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I don't think uh, it, it's a refreshed, hopefully, uh, and reinvigorated Chelsea. Um, I know that nobody liked what happened at the end of 2021 after beating Arsenal and the, in the manner in which we did as well. Um, things were looking incredible. We were feeling really high and then just came crashing down. I mean, it was a nil-nil draw at home versus Juventus in the Champions League, lost to Reading for the first time ever, was knocked out of the Women's Champions League when we were at the top slot at the beginning of the day. Um, losing away in Germany before nil. Again, check out our last podcast because there are other reasons why some of this may have happened. But um, you look at the results and it is, they are concerning. But I think they they were more concerning from a mindset point of view mm-hmm. than a tactical point of view. And that's kind of going to, to me, that's going to kind of be very interesting to see how the team responds and recovers and how they come back in 2022 and and what they look like when they step on the pitch. Because I think... You could you could make an argument for, you know, especially if you panic a little bit, you could make an argument for changing up everything and saying, well, what we did, what we've been doing has been found out. We've been exposed. We haven't been able to break through. I mean, remember, we were talking before even the Wolfsburg match that these last, you know, the, the Juventus match and the Reading match, we had so many shots and hadn't scored a goal. And mm-hmm. then the Wolfsburg match happened and that went completely differently than the other two we didn't dominate that that match at all in fact we pretty much got dominated so you kind of look at it and you think okay it kind of depends on what Emma Hayes thinks the problem is is it mindset or is it tactical which way do you think she might go it's quite it's quite difficult because there are always elements um that we need to tactically improve on and that never seemed to be um something that we couldn't do is always that it'd be a matter of time once we'd identify the problem like you know end of last season that Champions League final defeat we grew from there. We found a new formation that helped facilitate our defence a bit more. But what's been quite crazy for me is the first time since we started this podcast, since I've been following the Chelsea women, it's the first time that we've had a bad run of results where I, I think that physically it's not been, you know, phys- physical issues aren't the case. It's been mental. It's been the COVID issue. And you hear a lot of a lot of managers are talking about this. I was listening to Steven Gerrard the other day, Aston Villa manager, talking about how his players were afraid to get out of the car and go into training because they were afraid that they might pick up COVID. Emma Hayes talked on length about her players and their fear and anxiety. And you wonder, like, and she she said, she admitted this that this had an effect on their performance. And you wonder how much that will continue for teams, not just Chelsea, you know, not just in women's football, men's football. Um, perhaps this break might have given them a lot more time to reflect on those fears and anxieties and as we know those players are double vaxxed and and boosted but then you can only do so much the worry is always there um and and as it seems the the premier league and and the wsl have no intentions to halt games so this break might have been good for them because i think if the games were going on like they have on the men's side it would be really really difficult but we have had this time off you know by coincidence as per the normal league season so i think if we have um if we've had some time to focus on what went wrong last season and to focus on those fears and anxieties and maybe there might be some improvement i'm not i'm not really sure you know it's a really good question quite an insightful one we don't know how much work they do with sports psychologists and therapists on on the team probably quite a lot and it's not something that's talked about in football a lot about how that team helps 
you know you have physical trainers and physiotherapists but what what about when you know players need the the mental help so perhaps perhaps there's a team involved to help make sure that they can deal with that element and you know Emma Hayes has always talked about helping their players out helping their families out so I don't see why not yeah, yeah, it is a difficult um, kind of thing to predict, I, I, I believe. But, you know, the way I kind of look at it is that I think what ended up happening was, you know, the players were, you know, fo- fully focused on, on you know, football and getting results. You know, they had that excellent Arsenal result. And then all of a sudden, like, COVID came roaring back. Mm-hmm. And I think that brought a whole lot of uncertainty because we didn't know with this, with the new variant. Like, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of information. And we didn't know what was going on. And then suddenly it was here. And then suddenly everybody had it. And then suddenly like places, I, I don't know, uh, I haven't been checking the exact numbers there, but I know London's been kind of a hot spot for it. Mm-hmm. I know here in the States, many, many states, I'm talking like, I think over 30, maybe even over 35 of our states have broken their single case uh, records, quote unquote records. I mean, I guess it's a record. We think of records as positive things. Definitely not. Uh, but have broken their <laughs> records for positive cases. Uh, over the past week or just a few days. So I think that one thing that that was certainly unsettling the team was that uncertainty. And I think what happened with the break was one, of course, a chance to recover physically, but then also a chance to get more information um, to kind of mm-hmm. get back in that mode where you, you realize like this is still a very serious thing. And but we have steps to control it. Um, the vaccines are still working. Um, on the new variant. So that is very good. People aren't getting as sick as they were before. Um, so like you have all of these, you have more information now. So I'm hoping that the combination of these two things helps the team be able to kind of put all of that stuff aside, what was dragging them down in the latter part of the year uh, last year and are ready to kind of come back in 2022. But of course, we again, we put professional athletes through a lot, right? <laughs> like, yep. I, I don't know about y'all, but like this COVID thing is constantly on my mind. And sometimes during like football matches, even though they're only 90 minutes, well, a bit longer, we have 15 minutes for halftime, stoppage times, whatever. But we asked them to completely forget about everything except for football. And sometimes it's hard to do that. Yeah, I was uh, before recording, we actually spoke about how I kind of had a bit of a COVID scare over Christmas. And literally, like I remember it was a day after Christmas, Christmas finding out potentially been in contact with someone who had COVID. And I was like, I was just absolutely a mess. Like it was so much stress to think of, you know, about the effect of it, what might happen, the consequences. And even the thing is, even when you're vaccinated and boosted, there's still a fear there. And that fear is spread through mass media and it's and it's spread through knowing that there are people out there who aren't taking the vaccines, who don't believe it, who are spreading it, who are going out. Um, you know, there's only so much we can do to protect players. And it's an awful lot of pressure to ask them to protect themselves and then also go out, as you say, and perform and entertain and separate those two lives because they have a life on the pitch and they have a life outside of that. We're expecting them to do an awful lot. And and for some of the players, it's too much. It affects them mentally. And we've spoken plenty of times about Fran Kirby's mental struggles, but she isn't the only one in that team who struggles with those things. Um, So as you say, it's a lot. But as you also say, there's a lot more information out there to to help appease those fears. And... um, and as you say, a lot more people are able to get the vaccine and get boosted. It's about whether or not the players are able to mentally focus on that and um, and how much they've gotten out of this time away. I think that's also the most important thing, spending the rest you have in the most efficient way. Um, so you can only hope, you can hope for the for the best. And I think we'll see against Spurs on Friday just how that um, how that's going to show. 
Yeah, and I and you know, social media does lie from time to time, but you know, following some of the players on Instagram, they seem to be all right. Yeah. Pretty happy. <laughs> I saw a few I saw a few good celebrations, some some fun uh some fun uh outings it seemed like, but it seems like everybody was was keeping it safe and and having a good time uh with the people that are close to them. So that is a very good thing. Um one thing also that we ended up getting from Chelsea, bit of an early Christmas present, holiday, some sort of present, I suppose. <laughs> uh, we we signed a fullback. Y'all, we signed a fullback, a left back. Uh, amazingly, we kind of did did a couple joke tweets on on Twitter about it. Um, but Alsu Abdulina from Russia, Lokomotiv Moscow was her team there. Uh, she's been picked up by Chelsea. I don't really know the quarantine rules from Russia to um, the UK, so I'm not sure if she's joined up with the squad yet. But she was. Um, after signing, signed a contract until 2024 and was supposed to join the team in January. So my guess is she's either she's begun the process of doing that. Um, kind of an interesting player, I think. And obviously, <laughs> to be honest, kind of a as a as a very young, she's only 20, the very young left back who has never really played outside of Russia. This is a lot, right? Because we've been asking for fullback signings ever since, well, even honestly, before last year, last summer. But we finally got one. However, I want to caution everyone. Take some time. <laughs> Let's not put too much on the shoulders. It would be nice if she could adapt really quickly. But again, she's only 20. Um, does have a lot of experience on the international level. I believe she's been playing yeah. for Russia since 2017. She has so, 30 appearances for them as well, which is pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 quite impressive. Um, been one of the main players on Lokomotiv Moscow as they've won, I believe they won three trophies last season, the Super Cup, a Women's Cup, and the league title. Um, so that team's definitely been quite good. Uh, she plays left back, but sometimes gets into midfield, t- tends to get a lot of assists and score some goals. But, you know, for the most part, when I've been looking at a lot of her highlights and noticing what she does, very good tackler, um, what I've seen. And that's useful. I think that's quite useful in making sure that you turn over possession and when teams do try to act like they're going to fly down and get on those counterattacks, stopping them before something really dangerous develops is important. But quite young, I would I, I would caution and say this is this very much seems like a signing for the future, not a like this season savior. So we will see what happens. Was there any, anything in the signing that you wanted to, to call out, uh, Miriam? I think you kind of hit it on the head, but I was quite interested to hear what Emma Hayes had to say about it. And I'm just reading one of her quotes where she was kind of talking very positively about Sue and she's saying that she's someone who can play in any position on the left. And I think she said that specifically because that's an area we've talked so many times about, about that needing to be strengthened. Um, and it's just another example of Emma Hayes identifying an issue and, and trying to resolve that. Um, and I think as we said, as we said, and as you've said, it's definitely going to be one for the future. But if she's needed to be called upon and, and, and we have a shortage in that position and I think that she'll more than comfortably slot in and do a good job. In the same way we called on Neve Charles in the Champions League final, I think there's definitely a place that Abdelina would slot into. Yeah, yeah, definitely should be interesting. Um we kinda kinda I'm I'm gonna kinda briefly talk about uh Chelsea tactically a little bit. Um like we mentioned, it's difficult to know, you know, what really were the concerns, but I do think that even irrespective of the way the season ended, we did notice that there were some deficiencies in some matches um, with with the three four three and some things. So I and and I do wonder, you know, how much of this was on Emma Hayes's mind 
we know how that she is fairly obsessive with trying to get the best from the team, trying to figure out new ways to get the team going. And um, I listened to the to a couple of podcasts of an interview with her, and she says she likes to keep the team on their toes. Uh, and one of those things was the switch to a three four three certainly did that. Uh, change some dynamics with how the team plays. And you do wonder if she used this break to add anything else or come up with something else. Um, I think big picture, looking at the 3-4-3, I think overall, I think the the starting 11, when we're able to have you know all the players in there um, that we normally would call on uh, to start matches, it's been quite good. Um, I think they've done a very good job of of adapting to it. Um, I think it's cert- certainly the pressing structures. I mean, what we did versus Arsenal was just outrageous. Um, I, I think that was just one of those things where we, that was, oh, it was almost played to perfection. Um, Arsenal played into our hands quite a bit, but even even their adjustments were re- pretty easily picked up and dealt with before there were any real danger moments. Again, zero shots on target in that entire match. Mm. Um, it's just an outrageous thing to do to Arsenal. Uh, but you kind of look at it and you wonder... In the matches where we have struggled, Emma Hayes has abandoned the three four three and gone to a back four. Now, we've seen Gula Wrighton play as a left back, you know, instead of a left <laughs> wing back. You know, and I don't know if that's a great, uh, if that's a long term thing or not. I would assume not, but we have seen that. So I do wonder if we might see the three four three against Spurs, or do you think Emma Hayes might just be changing it back to a back four at some point? Well, like I said, um, in some of the games I've seen Spurs playing, they really like playing against the back three. Um, they liked more, you know, liked it more against Everton than they did against United, who were able to obviously do it better. But even then, there's no inkling to kind of push out in width there, is, which is what a back three does. It, you know, it's very narrow. It forces you to play less centrally. But Spurs don't seem to have an inkling to do that. They still push centrally with possession and transitional counterattacks and they find gaps by piling on the pressure that way, uh, which is how Jessica Naz got her goal and it's how um, a lot of goals have come for them. So I'm I'm just thinking about how that would work, whether she starts with a back four and then kind of changes up to a front three, whether she um, she goes with a back three but adds a, a very sort of defensive double pivot in midfield. You know, if she plays loophole and Ingold or... You just you've got to think the different combinations here because there are quite a few. And as you know, Chelsea teams are pretty adaptable. If Emma Hayes feels a need to change formation during the game, she will. So um, I think the back for me, if it was me, I'd, I'd start with the back four because I think you never know how fast they're going to come out the traps based on prior sort of experience and prior games. So maybe having an extra defence might help them. And then if we feel like we can come on a bit more attackingly and advance through their midfield as plenty of other teams have, then maybe we can change back up and add a bit more attacking intent through our fullbacks and wingbacks. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. And you actually brought up uh, one of those points about the midfield that I think kind of gets lost. I mean, we know, I mean, you can look at Chelsea 3-4-3 and, and immediately identify where it might be deficient, right? We've got two wingbacks who aren't wingbacks. <laughs> Gore Wrighton <laughs> and Aaron Cuthbert. Both those players are very good but they're not really defensive-minded wide players. You know, Aaron Cuthbert is either a winger or she's been playing. And last season, she played a lot in midfield. Was very, very good at kind of being that box-to-box, just kind of like messing things up for the other team. Very good at doing things like that. Uh, and Gua Wrighton is very much a traditional, you know, chalk on the heels kind of um, kind of winger. Stays out wide. Excellent service from wide areas as well with her left foot. Very, very good, very, very smart and crafty player, but not necessarily the strongest defender. So 
we we know this. This is why we've been wanting fullbacks. This was kind of the uh, getting three center backs on the pitch was kind of the way to kind of fudge a little bit that we weren't that we didn't have fullbacks that we could just say, okay, you're going to be defensively solid, but you're also going to be able to move push up high and contribute to attack and get back uh, when we lose possession. We don't have that, so this has been kind of the fix and the reason, seemingly the impetus for changing to a three four three. But in terms of players that we do have. I think, and, and, and for particular positions, their natural positions, I think one of the biggest problems that we've ended up having with this 3-4-3 is just two, two in midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, that double pivot thing that happens in midfield with a 3-4-3 is kind of interesting. And I think that we haven't quite figured out a balance there yet because either we have Melanie Loopholes next to Sophie Engel, who is more of a traditional DM. She's very good. She helps Chelsea's pressing a uh, stable figure when she's in there, but she doesn't offer a whole lot going forward. When we need to go forward, we swap in G next to loopholes. So it's almost like you can tell by Emma Hayes, like, do we need a goal? We have G. Uh, do we think we can, you know, keep possession and, and go and attack? Then we have G. Do we think we're going to need to defend a bit more? Then we have Sophie Engel. Do we need to, you know, when, when you have those type of things, it's it's a little predictable, I'll say. And we haven't really found that partner next to Melanie Loopholes who can really be that kind of box-to-box midfielder. I was hoping, and yes, I'm going to say it. Y'all know it's coming. Jess Fleming. <laughs> I was I was hoping that Jesse Fleming would get a shot there, but I've also seen her in some midfield areas give the ball away a few times, and I'm pretty sure that is something that Emma Hayes has noted and made her a bit hesitant to trust her in a midfield too just yet. Um, we also saw Drew Spence have a pretty good game um, in that in that midfield uh, too, but again, she's more uh, closer to Sophie Engel on the spectrum and isn't quite that box-to-box player as well. So I think when we look at players we need, obviously fullbacks are the number one priority, but I still believe we need a we need some sort of midfielder, whether it's Jesse Fleming stepping up or us bringing somebody else in and finding a good compliment for Melanie Lupos. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've, we've experimented a lot with that position. You know, G was doing well and attackingly, but we found problems there. We subbed in Ingles, so there was issues there. I suppose you might never find like the perfect player, but you need someone who is able to be just as, as versatile and adaptive as Melanie Lupoltz is uh, next to her. So um, better than to kind of keep experimenting with players and, and help them find their preferred positions and to actually sign someone who can help us progress and grow in that role. Because I think that was the one area that really let us down in the last um, in the last bit of the Champions League last season. Uh, sort of the the double header games uh, from this last sixteen onwards, we saw that that was an area of concern. So I'm 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 sort of agreeing with you. I think that's that's the next area to target after we kind of fix our defensive issues. Yeah, and I do remember. I mean, um, I think before the break, um, Emma Hayes did say that Jesse Fleming is the one player that's making her sweat when it's when it comes to you know naming an eleven. Right, she's the one pushing for uh, to get into that starting eleven more more frequently than others, which is great to hear. But also, she's only played like really along that forward line. And we know that when Harder is healthy, Sam Kerr is healthy, Frank Kirby, Frank Kirby is healthy. Um, I love Jesse Fleming, but she shouldn't start over any one of those players. So mm-hmm. for me, the, the, the project to do would be to try to work with her on midfield and try to get her you know, tighter on the ball, more composed on the ball, more aware, um, so that she doesn't end up you know, uh, with those turnovers that even immediately cause the team to have to... Uh, turn around and, and defend really quickly in some you know in some areas you just got to be safer with the ball um, than than she has been a couple times and it's again it's not pervasive 
it's not anything that you can see, but there have been a couple of times where I'm like, oh yeah, if she was if she was starting in midfield and ended up doing that, I could see that being like Emma Hayes not having full trust in her in that position just yet. So, but I am hoping that that happens because I do think I still believe, still believe that Jesse Fleming will be an excellent midfield partner um, if she's allowed to play that midfield role, learn all the things in midfield that she needs to learn in terms of work with Melanie Loopholes on the training pitch and learn and getting that combination right, um, that connects that partnership right. So hopefully we get to see that at some point. If not, you're right. We are going to have to look to bring someone else in. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think, you know, we really desperately want her to be the one. So we've got to, we've got, we've got to get <laughs> I like her. How I've converted you. I've heard you. <laughs> I, you are I now a Jesse quite, um, Fleming propagandist like like me and so many others on Twitter. Yeah, I feel quite disheartened. <laughs> I was like, we're getting to, towards the end of the podcast, and he hasn't mentioned mentioned her. So like, what's, <laughs> what's going on? Is he all right? Is he just dressed? And then you said, don't worry, twenty twenty two is not going to be that different. I'm still a, a, <laughs> a diehard Jess Fleming propagandist. That will that campaign will continue. Um, so let's get to your favorite part. Yes, I've had my favorite part talking about Jess Fleming. Now let's get to your favorite part and let's talk about predictions for this game. Ooh, Chelsea ooh, versus Spurs ooh. on Friday, again, 7 p.m. kickoff, local time in the UK, 2 p.m. Eastern in the States. What do you think? It's interesting because I decided that I was going to do this as we were talking rather than planning and thinking ahead, which is actually something you would do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But, but after listening to everything I've said, even though I was the one who wrote and created everything I said, I've gone against my initial thoughts. I thought that, you know, I'm thinking that if Chelsea are able to counterattack with the the strongest team, like I'm talking about Kirby, harder potentially G, I think we're going to expect a pretty high scoring contest. I'm thinking 4 0. But at the same time, I think that Spurs are going to get one or two, maybe, just because our, our defense isn't in the right place. And I think we're going to be quite rusty to ask any new players to come in and, and, even if we ask them to strengthen the defence, you can't really strengthen a defence if you've just come into the team and, you know, you've been off for a while. So I'm going to go with a 3-1 because I think that's a safer um, that's a safer scoreline to go to. What about you? Oh, yeah, a 3-1 is interesting. As I mentioned, I, th- I think the concern for me is that Spurs do really seem to be pretty defensively solid. You know, they don't t- tend to give up many goals at all. Um, when they mm. do lose, like I said, it's been one goal margins. Uh, so they will be difficult to play against. And I think it is one of those really tough assignments again from Chelsea um, coming back uh, in the new year and going against this kind of a team. So I'm I'm not really looking forward to it. I think the first half is going to be frustrating, uh, but I do think that eventually Chelsea is going to get to they maybe score before halftime, uh, make it a little easier on themselves. But I do think it's going to be one of those either like a 2-1 or, or maybe like a uh, a 2-0 kind of thing from uh, Chelsea win. But I do expect Chelsea to come out and be able to get goals on. And, and I also think they're going to be upset with the, they remember what happened in, in the end of 2021. And I think they're really frustrated. They've been out of the chin, that they're now out of the Champions League. Um, and I think putting all focus and all attention onto the league to making sure we hunt down Arsenal, it's going to be imperative and getting three points versus everybody we play is going to be really, really important. And I think we're going to start off a little shaky, but I think we're going to get it done. Final prediction, I'm actually going 2-0. I don't think Spurs are going to score. Interesting you say that, because that's not what you put in the sheet. It's not at all. Talk yourself into a different (laughs) prediction. I did. I did. I did. I did. So we'll see. Although, I'm going to go on record and say that both count. (laughs) 
Whichever one is right. No, <laughs> that's not how. Don't don't try this. I am the queen. I know the rules. This isn't how it works. That would oh. be illegal. That would be cheating. Oh wow, illegal! Wow, you're gonna call the call the police on me. That's just because then I could do that. As anyone could do that. You're basically saying there's no way I you mean, can. I mean, I'm lose. not saying you can't. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm but with right. the rules. All right, I'll stick with two nil. I'm going with two nil. It seems like it's very hard to get that third goal on Spurs. Maybe if we had some form, you know, if, if we weren't coming back from a break and everything, you know, I think maybe we'd be mm-hmm. able to do it. We're obviously capable, but I think two goals, none conceded, that'd be a good win. Can't disagree there. All right. Well, that's it. This is the first episode of 2022. Thank you so much for listening to Fran Kirby's Fight Club. We truly appreciate it and love it. If you are listening on an app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. We we uh, I did find out that Spotify now allows you to rate and review, so please do that. Uh, we love reading the reviews, and the ratings also help us grow and help, more, and help more people find the podcast. It is a very nice thing to do if you like us. If you don't like us, uh, why'd you listen this long? Sorry, <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. And we will be back uh, next week with a recap and another preview because we keep this thing rolling and we're looking for 2022 to shed all that negative, bad energy of 2021 the way it ended. But still, we lifted plenty of trophies in 2021. So we're good. 2022 is going to be just as good. So let's go. Mm-hmm.